called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Just Ask the Question. This week is the start of a uh, two-part special episode that is a, going to be a compilation of the top 16 most listened to podcasts. That's right. So it's going to be five-minute sequences of each one, and we're going to do this in two parts. So that means the first week, this one right now is going to be eight episodes, five minutes each, and next week the same thing. So uh, hold on to your hats. So welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kiram. Today it is a treat to have my mentor on this show, and I'll, in, I'll introduce him, but again, doesn't need an introduction, Sam Donaldson, who for years covered the White House for ABC, and um, I think, Sam, the last time we sat down and did an interview, you were interviewing me, actually, right. but so it's a real joy to sit down for this, so I'll just ask the question, what's wrong with the White House today? Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump is what's wrong with the White House. I mean, leadership and uh, in the presidential administration, it begins at the top. The right. president sets the tone. People that work for him and those of who watch him know what to expect. Uh, if a president wants uh, his people to be honest, wants them to be industrious, wants them to serve in their administration the way they're supposed to, they'll work to do that or else they'll be out. But if they see the president wants to lie about everything, the president wants to make a fool of himself in the sense that he doesn't conduct himself as a president of the United States does in our history, well, not, they can do that too. What do you think, I, I, going back to the White House, would you go back there today? No. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a young man's game, young man, <laughs> and, and gal's game. Uh, you have to have a lot of energy. You have to keep up on everything that's going on. You have to have your mind a little <laughs> clearer than when you get to be 85, it is. Uh, I wouldn't go back, no. Is there a question you'd like to ask Trump? I think you uh, and others are asking the right questions when you have an opportunity to do it. So it's not, oh, they forgot to ask this, or that was not put in a way that he had to either answer or be seen not to answer. You're doing a great job. Well, thanks. I, I can't think of one. I, I would want to ask that you haven't. I would. I want to address well, a couple of things, but I want to address the idea that every time I'm told that he's the most transparent and accessible president. <laughs> but you know, I was talking the other night with Anderson Cooper on CNN, and we both were saying the same thing. He is. Anyone who's actually watched him, listened to him, read his tweets, either directly or in the news. Knows who he is. Yes. Anyone who has his or her eyes open has got him cold. I'm more interested these days in continuing to examine the people who still adhere to him. What are their reasons? Uh, some I think are ignoble, and I think I have no respect for whatsoever. The bigots, right? The prejudiced people who want all the brown Mexicans out, and that kind of thing. Right. But a lot of them. I think are good people, except what is it they either see or don't see in Donald J. Trump? I, that's the, yeah, that's the $69 million question right there. Right? I was with someone the other night 
uh, in our group of people uh, who said her husband uh, loves him. I said, well, why? Because your husband's a smart guy. And he said, the, she said, it's the economy. We're doing well. They're business people. He said, we're doing well. He loves this. He attributes it to, to Trump, and he's going to want to continue it, and I'm sure he'll try to vote for Trump in 2020, regardless of all this other stuff. He'll hold his nose, but he'll vote for him. <laughs> okay, wonderful. <laughs> what about all this other stuff? Doesn't that matter? It, all that other stuff does matter. I mean, do the ends justify the means is always the right. question. But I, I maintain that the reason why the economy is doing well, or and it's a continuation, of course, of the Obama economy, right. is when you slash all the regulations and let the robber barons run free, it's going to help the economy for a while. Particularly for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, for them, Listen, it's great. <laughs> if I was a multi-billionaire with a company and all of this and in the international trade, uh, uh, hey, get in, get in on China, for instance. As we're talking, we're not quite certain. We're told that the next meeting may be a very important meeting. Uh, we're not quite certain how it's going to come out. Does she bend enough so that he can say, look what I've achieved with right. China when no one else could? <clears throat> or at the end, like Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-un, rather. Right. Uh, it's Trump who gets taken. It's Trump who gets monkeyed. Well, look, I think he got played look, by North Korea. He's, look, now this guy, this murderous dictator of this small country of people, is on the international stage. He's had his first meeting with Vladimir Putin. The two of them issued a communique, a little bland, but what it's saying actually, if you look at it, is, hey, we're now together, and we're opposing the United States of America. <laughs> well, thank you, Donald, for, <laughs> bring, for bringing Kim onto the world stage on the belief that you and your personality, your bright star, can make him a Democrat. No! <laughs> no, make him a Republican. Oh, make him a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> hey, now, uh, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you while covering the president? Oh, a lot of, lot of funny stories, you know, funny things. Reagan was an interesting person. He loved to do these one-liners, you know, and sometimes they were great in the sense that they avoided the questions. But the funniest question, obviously, it turned out I ever asked was of Ronald Reagan. Uh, two years into his administration, we were still in a, in a pretty deep recession. We were coming out of it, as we could see now, but uh, still interest rates were very high. Unemployment was 10.8%. Right. Uh, and so at a news conference one night, I was called in and I said, Mr. President, tonight you have blamed this continuing recession on Congress and the mistakes of the past. Doesn't any of the blame belong to you? Yes, he said, I was once a Democrat. <laughs> da, 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 so welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. This morning we have the pleasure of sitting down with John Bennett, one of the uh, White House I, I love when I get introduced. White House pool report. It's like we're in the wet end of the. <laughs> but with with uh, CQ roll call, and so. Um, right. It's yeah. uh, it, it is a as we talk about every day. It's it's a roller coaster. Um, I've often compared covering uh, this president in this White House. It's like a NASCAR race in the in the old days before all the rules for safety, um, <laughs> and it's a super speedway race. <laughs> and, you know, it's four wide, it's three wide, it's back and forth, it's four lead changes in a lap. 
and and then they're on the back stretch and there's a huge crash uh, huge crash but now instead of like freeze the field everyone slow down they used to race all the way back and sometimes you get this at the <laughs> end of the race so fridays feel like that very thing that last lap yeah. crash and they're coming back they're not going to stop and, and do all this uh this new stuff they do with yellow flag they don't right. so they're they just, don't stick they're in just yellow racing flag. back to the yellow for the win and then before they can get back to the stripe there's another crash <laughs> and but then somehow on friday evening we make it to the stripe and it just stops uh, yeah and and and, <laughs> and it's very it can it's very disorienting sometimes um uh, this happened a few weeks ago. I was the print pooler, and uh, we are literally standing on the colonnade. Uh, Rose Gardens to our left, uh, Oval Office is ahead of us and to the right, and, and the reporters are literally workshopping questions and trying to eliminate lesser ones because we must have brought up 15 or 16 just topics, and every topic has three or four questions. Uh, right. So, so you're just trying to get an, an initial one or two that we know we're going to ask between all of us. But then that what this allows them to do, the way they're doing this with, with the pool sprays, with you know Trump calling on people, and then outside they're doing you know, Sarah Sanders or, or John Bolton or, or Hogan Gidley or Kellyanne Conway will go out and do a television hit. On their way back in, they'll stop for 6 to 16 minutes. If it's Kellyanne, maybe 36. But it, it allows them to... Just so we can watch her dance. <laughs> that's your thing. That's not yes. my thing. Um, Come on, Kellyanne, dance. It allows them, because it's so chaotic, they play us off each other. Yes. Because we know President Trump can cut these things off at any time. I've seen him. I have stood in the Oval Office or, or somewhere else in the White House during a pool duty and watched him go from chatty to agitated to angry and just abruptly and thank then back you, to chatty thank, again. Thank you. See you guys later, and 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 dismiss us. Right, and he's he, after dismissing you. He's even come back and answered sure. uh, and gotten sure. chatty again. Sure, but <clears throat> it it allows them more control on when these things end. That's exactly right, and and that's part of what it's about. Because like you said, they don't want to answer certain questions. They they don't even want to be asked certain questions. And we haven't even gotten into all the reasons why the <laughs> staff doesn't want to be answer all the questions. But it. It all goes back to Trump, and he doesn't want to see, um, uh, you know, he doesn't want to see this footage played over and over again on cable television all day. Just if you or me or Jim or April or, or uh, Peter Alexander, Steve know, Portman, there's right. a lot of good people down there, Absolutely. and then Pro and they're pros. all yeah. absolute pros, and they are asking. And I will, you know, I'll say this. Everybody goes, well, what about Fox News? Look, I'll defend John Roberts and I'll defend Fox News. They're news people. I'll defend everybody at Breitbart. I'll defend every reporter I've seen sure. down there. Sure. E even the ones who are run, you know, the guy running the blog. I'll defend them because they're asking questions. That's, and that's their job. Our job you may is not to think, like right. them. You may not like the way they bathe. You may not like their voice. You may not like their breath mints. But they got a job to do it, and I respect every. I, I, sure. I have a high respect for everybody who shows up on a given day to ask this, particularly this president, because it's very mind-numbing at times. I mean, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I I don't know about you, but there are times I get up and go, "Why am I going in there today?" <laughs> the stress level is certainly. Um, um, it can be off the charts. Uh, it, um, it it can be hard to, to come down at night. You know the 
the night of the That's rally. That's how they make alcohol for, brother. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Um, you, have to, you, you have to pace yourself with this president. You have to look. But do you agree? Like, I mean, do you agree that we're just down there doing our job? Every oh, absolutely. One of them. Our yeah. job is to think critically of who, and, uh, of who and what we're covering. Think critically about it and ask the, the best questions we can to both inform and to hold people accountable. Uh, hold hold those officials accountable all the way up to the president. Um, we're not, you know, they'll say that we're um, the we have agendas. Trump staff, we have agendas. We want airtime. Um, we're we're attacking them all the time unfairly. On their on their most agitated days, they'll say we're trying to take down a whole presidency. You know, Brian, I think I'm pretty good at my job, and my employer, God bless them, I think they think so too. I don't go in there every day thinking that I. And me alone is going to take down. It's not my job it's description. Take down a president, right? No, that, that's. I'm not getting paid for that. Welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host Brian Kerman. Today, it's a joy to be speaking with Carl Reiner. Actually, the first person I can actually say doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to introduce you because he's. You would know him from a variety of things. Uh, younger audiences will know him from the Ocean movies. And uh, but where I grew up watching you first wasn't Dick Van Dyke or your show of shows. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Uh, may I ask you something, please? Uh, are there nine of you out there? Are, are you all Russians with machine guns? And does one of you look like Uncle? I mean, uh, look like a wrestler? Uh, I'm sorry to uh, comply with your statement, but misfortunately. All of the answers to these questions are yes. And that's the first question I want to ask you. Since the title is Just Ask a Question, I'll just ask you this question. That movie I saw when I was a kid came at a time when <clears throat> we were growing up. Our, our next-door neighbor, honest to God, had a bomb shelter. And we were told the Russians were our enemy and we were all, all going to die. And I was scared to death. I wouldn't even get to be an adult. And then I saw this movie... And your character, Walt Whitaker, yes. a comedy writer, right. who was the same guy in the middle of all this craziness. And at the end of the day, you left with a smile thinking, well, the Russians aren't that bad. Did you know what that was when you all did it? Oh, no, absolutely. As soon as I read it, I said, this is a very important movie for the Times. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was important for two reasons, for the Times and for me. It was the first and only leading role I had in a major motion picture. The only one I ever did that had me, and I, I remember saying after it, my God, my leading lady, first she worked with Brando, then with, uh, uh, she right. worked with a slew of. Uh, even Marie Saint, right? Yeah, uh, Cary Grant, you know, yeah. even Marie Saint. And here I was the major, the major role in a major motion picture. So that was the number one thing for me. And then the story, I, I knew what it was going. At the very end, we see we help the... Uh, Russians. The, no, we, yeah, we help the Russians by uh, telling our planes to bypass. They were told that, you know, they were going to bomb us, and, and that we, they waved goodbye at the end, and we were all smiling. And as a matter of fact, that was the high point of the Russian-American... Uh, Cold War. relationship yeah uh, it calmed the, the world we need a little of that right now I finds funny 
What, what? What, what defines funny? What makes you laugh? Well, well and we all have a, the same experience. We're born of people. We live in neighborhoods. We have friends. We have family. Uh, the same thing, and that's why certain comedians become successful media because they do themselves. They reflect who they are, and everybody's the same. If you don't reflect who you are, you're not like other people, and right. they won't laugh at So it's really, you know, as I said when I did the, the show that really defines me forever is the Van Dyke show because it's about me. It's about, you know, right. who, who, what I did with my wife and my kids and what I thought. And uh, and I knew when I was doing it, I said, uh, when I used other, for the first 50 shows, 30 shows, I wrote the first 30 shows to get alone. You know, it was my own story editor, my own producer. And, wow. Uh, and I remember when I got writers in, I say, fellas, there's no, there's no uh, slang. We use no slang of the day. because this I have a feeling this show is going to last forever. And I was right. It's colorized now. Right. Yeah. I like it in the black and white. That's how I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have to tell you, and, and I do want to talk, I've always wanted to talk Dick Van Dyke with you, but there is one show that remains my favorite with you in it. Coast to Coast Big Mouth. Oh, yeah. Well, Coast to Coast Big Mouth <laughs> was based on the fact that... Uh, Mary gives out to another television station accidentally that... Uh, You're bald. That I'm bald and I wear a toupee. And then her coming in and... Uh, that scene. Yeah, scene. That was one of my funniest scenes. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Today... With us is the infamous, the uh, unparalleled Randy Rainbow. The gorgeous. The gorgeous Randy Rainbow. So Randy, uh, well known for parody, and if you haven't seen him, you got to check out his parody of the Trump administration. But I'll just start by just asking you the question. All right. How did you get involved in this? <sighs> well, Hillary Clinton hired me back in 20... 20- no. Some people <laughs> think that that's the case. They think I've been hired by the DNC, and I get hate mail like that all the time. Have you gotten death threats? I'm afraid not. I don't think I'm big enough for that yet. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> um, no, no death threats yet that I'm aware of. Though Just I, hate I have it. Yeah, but I always say you'd be surprised how much hate mail I don't get. I hear from people all the time who say, you know, I don't agree with you politically. I don't like gay people or white people or Jewish people or people. I'm a terrible, horrible person, but I love your videos. Your videos are hilarious. So I get stuff like that, which is always nice to hear. So I interrupted the, the answer. How did you Oh, how started? did I get started? Yeah. Well, I've been doing this for a very long time, actually. I mean, a very long time. 2010 was my first viral video, and it was called Randy Rainbow is Dating Mel Gibson. <laughs> so you remember when the whole Mel Gibson thing yeah, happened with the those whole tapes. Camp, yeah. So I put out – I had a blog. Long story short, I had a blog. I was working a desk job. I was bored out of my – can you curse on this? I won't. Fucking podcast. Okay. (laughs) I was bored out of my fucking mind. And uh, I have a musical theater background. I was sort of getting into comedy and stuff. So I started writing a blog, a comedic blog that was sort of Broadway bent uh, from behind the desk uh, um, at an accounting firm where I was being, uh, where I was not an accountant, (laughs) if you need to. Yeah, that's all right. I was. 
a receptionist. So that started getting a little traction. I got known in the gay and Broadway communities primarily. And, um, Is there I, a difference? Same shit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I said, you know, the ham in me, the performer in me kind of kicked in. I said, I got some people, I got some eyes on this thing now. Why right. don't I put myself on camera and maybe do something? Uh, and I had I, I started to lampoon celebrities and pop culture and things like that. The Mel Gibson thing happened at that time. And I just had this idea for a sketch called Randy Rainbow's Dating Mel Gibson. And essentially, I w was walking around my apartment having romantic phone conversations with, with the those horrible, racist, misogynistic phone rants of Mel Gibson. And that went viral. And from then on, I just sort of stuck to that gimmick of plugging myself into... Those situations. The, the, the headlines. And, then, and so in 2016, you know, Trump it just it, it was just an obvious kind of thing for me. You told me, um, and if you don't feel comfortable talking about it. I'm not comfortable talking about anything. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about it then. <laughs> so you told and me. I'm, so tell me if I need to speak up. Because no, you're good. like you, I'm not only a serious journalist, I'm also a singer. And we're, I'm about to do a show. And, and you know, we'll have we to do a that. number together. Yeah, um, I'm going to call you up. We're going to do, <laughs> do Sisters from sisters. White Christmas. See, that's why I like I've it. never met a better pair of sisters. All right, so. Yeah. How did you, you had told me that you knew when you saw Donald Trump that it harkened back to your own father. Yeah. Donald Trump is my father. Um, the man no, no, Metaphorically, Metaphorically. Right? Yeah, let's, let's not start a rumor, <laughs> although I could use the publicity. Yeah. Let's, um, he, he, that's how we'll promote this. Yeah. <laughs> breaking. Yeah, breaking. Um, he, in every capacity, is my father. From, it's, we, the, this show is not long enough to get into it. But, I mean, down to the mannerisms... And so much so that my father, who's no longer with us, who was not an introspective person in any way, he would never say something like this about himself. But be right before he died was in 2016 when the election was happening. And even he said, I cannot watch him in the debates because he remi reminds me too much of myself. Wow. But just he was just that kind of I mean, forgive me, I don't want to offend anybody. Not that I care really about that. But he, there's a generation of New York kind of bullshit artist guy Yes. There's just a, a breed of man. Yeah. From that from New York where my father's from and I'm a New Yorker too. I love New Yorkers and I love men. I love New York. I love everyone. But there is just a a, a real bullshit kind of uh, breed and he was he was of that breed for sure. So I feel that one of the reasons I'm so good at spoofing Trump and kind of feel like I've got his number maybe more than even some other people's cuz I've grown up having these conversations with my family that the world is now having about this man and his behavior Very uh, about my father. The no, classic textbook narcissism, all of that stuff. Pleased to have with us, former director of national intelligence, Jim Clapper. Uh, Jim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. The uh, name of the show, of course, is Just Ask the Question. So we're going to start by just asking the question. Um, the uh, president of the United States claims that there is a deep state out to get him. Is there a deep state in the United States? Well, no, not in my mind. Uh, I, I, this, this is a term I, I never heard uh, before or, or heard of before. Uh, this, uh, uh, you know, the, during the campaign and, and, and during this administration. I, I guess what it means is... Uh, the cadre of career professional civil servants 
not just in, in intelligence or law enforcement, but throughout the government, who are a great strength uh, of this uh, country and its system of governance, because that's who has the, the expertise, the corporate memory, uh, uh, and the, the dedication and patriotism to stick with it as a career. And this is a, a very important feature of our, our country. It's one of the strengths of our country, if that's what's meant by uh, the deep state, which, uh, again, a concept that I just uh, is foreign to me. For those of us who, you know, we've been on the outside covering it as a reporter for many years, you know that there are certain ways that um, that intelligent uh, uh, activities occur. You know how the FBI acts. You know how the CIA acts. They're never going to tell you. I mean, the most common refrain you ever get from the FBI is we can neither confirm nor deny anything. And the CIA, of course, is is uh, even more circumspect than that. And But nonetheless, there is a reason for that, is there not? I mean, you have to keep certain secrets. Oh, exactly. And uh, this is you know part of the, the dilemma uh, of a free society where uh, there's a great premium placed, and appropriately so, on transparency and, and openness. <clears throat> Just speaking about the intelligence community and... and to an extent, the same is true with uh, uh, the investigations conducted by the law enforcement community. Uh, there is a, uh, a protection of privacy issue here, particularly law enforcement. And also, uh, a very important uh, thing, uh, particularly in the intelligence community, is the protection of sources, methods, and tradecraft. And there will always be this, or and there has been for the 50-plus years that I've been in the intelligence business, an aura of suspicion about that secrecy. And that's why, uh, you know, congressional oversight is so important because the, the two com congressional committees that are dedicated for this purpose, I think, have a, a especially heavy burden, a responsibility, because they have to represent or be surrogates for the, for the public and, for that matter, many uh, other members uh, to, to safeguard you know, our way of life and to ensure that uh, what the intelligence community and law enforcement community is doing is legal and, and moral and ethical. That's been, that's been the watchword. That's not to say that, you know, we haven't made mistakes. Certainly we have. Well, and, and you have yourself been involved in a couple of, I guess, controversies regarding a releasing of information to reporters. Um, you Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am Brian Karam, and today, pleased to have Cooper Hefner with me, and uh, Cooper running Playboy magazine, and, uh, the, well, the son of, of one of my favorite icons of, um, lucky enough to meet your dad once, uh, Hugh Hefner. And so Cooper's here with us today, and since it is Just Ask the Question, Cooper, I'm just going to ask the question, how relevant is Playboy today? Uh, I would say, and I am biased. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, uh, and and as full disclosure, I I write a column for Playboy, so I think you're very relevant. <laughs> right. um, I always find it interesting that people who are critics of the philosophy and the brand want to tell us why we're not relevant. Yet, if you were to take a step back and see the number of people who read that article, talked about the company talked about the magazine it's it's pretty clear that uh that the organization and the brand itself is 
likely more relevant than it's ever been. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that core qualities and really directional notes, culturally speaking, that Playboy and my dad were responsible for, specifically the conversation around gender identity, the roles of men and women. Uh, a lot of that is is resurfacing and coming back up and manifesting in ways that uh, are not, I, I wouldn't say I, truly, I, I don't think that there's as much of a disconnect between the early 50s and today in regards to that particular conversation. Certainly, circumstances are different, um, but there are a lot of similarities. Well, and I, I, when you mention those issues, the one that always brings it home for me is the First Amendment. Certainly. Playboy was on the forefront and has been for First Amendment issues for a very long time. Right. And um, I remember it, the one conversation I had with your dad, I was always curious. And so when I met him, I had to ask, I said, you know, I, I've always read and enjoyed Playboy magazine and, you know, subscribed to it long before I ever uh, wrote for it. And I did love, I mean, the literature, the, 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 the cartoons, the humor, the music, the sport, everything about it I enjoyed other than, you know, the women, which I also enjoyed. But I, I said, which came first? What, what, what was, you know, did, did you have in mind to do a, a you know, a, a literature magazine and bring people in by showing naked women? Or was that, you know, happenstance? And I remember your dad looked at me and said, well, it all worked out, didn't it? <laughs> and so I, I never really got the answer to that. But I mean, I know the lore. I know, I know what the history is. But one of the reasons why I, I admire my dad so much, and I think that I share this point of view, is if you were to, if you go back and look at the early magazine and the early issues that were published i mean even reading the the first manifesto that was written that was published in the actual first issue with marilyn monroe on the cover you'll note that it's very clear that he was not assuming that the magazine was going to participate in having really thoughtful conversations around culture as a matter of fact he actually said something along the lines of I hope that I can remove men's minds from the atomic age and they can get lost in the pages and be entertained for a moment. And what one found as the magazine was more successful and the company had money to spend and they collected these cultural figures that were up and coming and some that were established, politics and free speech and these conversations around how to live in the best society that we can live in really became a focal point of the magazine. And really that, from my perspective and the conversations I've had with my dad, was a response to the fact that the magazine had this immense following and was growing in popularity rapidly. And the note of what it is exactly that I look at that I admire about my dad, uh, it's that a lot of people end up having uh, a soapbox unexpectedly. And they don't necessarily use it in a way that is responsible. I think that we can – I can certainly make that criticism uh, of someone who currently inhabits the White House. Uh, but You're being I, kind. I am. <laughs> I always uh, admired that about my dad, that he launched something at actually the age that I'm at, 27 years old, which is interesting in itself for me personally and professionally. Um, but he launched this company not expecting to change anything and ended up being uh, 
I am proudly blow, blow smoke up my dad's ass when I say this, uh, <laughs> one of the great thought leaders of, of the 20th uh, and 21st century. And welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have with me the first transgender representative in Virginia's uh, legislature and also former reporter where I know her from. Not Danica like that Rome. matters or anything. Not that, that matters. No, so the, I like that that's the identifier you're going with. Not yeah. like my former employee my, who, and I, good friend. who I molded into <laughs> yeah. the fine public service servant she is now. <laughs> I'll take credit for that. No, I'm not <laughs> going to take credit for that. You're great at what you do. But this, since the, the, the title of the program is Just Ask the Question, I'm going to just ask you the question. How much kickback, how much pushback do you get, Danica, from from being your trendsetter? And and you're out front in an issue that, you know, many think is long overdue. But in Virginia, for the love of God, which is very conservative, it has to be tough, does it not? That And with that issue being the ever-pressing need to replace cast iron water pipes with ductile iron pipes, you are absolutely <laughs> correct. It is outdated. We are way behind on the system on this. And if our water infrastructure looked like Poulsville's right now, we'd be in a lot better shape. You'd be got, in a lot worse shape. No, no. They they, they, they did. They did. They, did. Right. they have the ductile pipes, and they're they, nice and good, and they don't have the breaking problem. That, that you see and that's the why you so. won. That is where I'm wrong. That's right. Because you it. stuck to the issues, which I thought was great. And what was the issue that won it for you, do you think? Well, clearly my hair, Ryan. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it just... It just know. flows. It just flows. It was but traffic, wasn't it? It was always traffic, yes. You guys have a Route 28 in Montgomery County. We have a Route 28 in Prince William County that, you know, still sucks. sucks. But the Route 28 I-66 interchange project to remove four of the traffic lights between I-66 and the park in North River in Centerville is now underway. And you can see the construction happening right now as I speak. And it's going to... Have, and those four traffic lights will be removed by uh, end of next year, and overall construction will be done by 2022. Now, by God, that's service. And that's a good thing. It and is a Meanwhile, good thing. after spending all of 2017 advocating for uh, fixing Route 28, last year the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority allocated $128 million for fixing Route 28, including the widening in Centerville from four lanes to six lanes, which basically means that you have more capacity. Calm down. We got time. I am working on an administrative solution for removing well, the that, traffic Well, that's lanes. a good thing. It is. And that's a Indeed. that's a great thing. So yes, but to get to your other question, um, the employed question is, um, like just I don't get a lot of the issue of being trans is more of a like in Richmond itself is more of a curiosity for people, um, and you know that going in, you know very well once you arrive at a place like that that you are different and that you know what it's like to be the only person who's like you in the room and sure everyone we can say we're all snowflakes we're all our own little special people and so we're all different it's like yeah i'm the only trans person in any legislature in the country <laughs> last year anyway but then yeah, that's true you said trendsetter well last year um not only did i in 2017 as a trans woman flip a republican seat in virginia but well um Right after my election, I got a message from a woman named uh, Brianna Satone out in Colorado, and she said, hey, um, before your election, I didn't know that I could do this, but, you know, I really want to run for state legislature, and she was in a Republican seat, and in one of the closest races in the country last year, she flipped that seat from red to blue. I'll take credit and for then, all this. <laughs> and, and then in New Hampshire, we had another uh, trans woman flip a seat red to blue in their state legislature, and another trans woman in New Hampshire hold uh, a Democratic seat. So we went from two two years ago, 
zero trans people in any state legislature to one in 2017 to four in 2018 into the now 2019. And that will put me in the position to be the first um, outseated trans state legislator to be reelected um, come this November 5th. So obviously I got to win first. But, well, yeah, you, know, you do. That, that would help. That would be a happy, nice <laughs> yeah. little title to come along with that. So hi and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today we have the man, the myth, the legend, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> My middle son, Brennan, is joining us, a film director, VFX specialist out in Hollywood, and we're visiting him in the uh, company of a baby shower and a cigar party for his new son. So we're going to actually turn it around today and have some fun with him getting to ask me some questions about fatherhood, but also introducing you to uh, the concept of fatherhood. So since it is just ask the question, Brennan, I'm going to just ask you the question. You scared of being a dad? Okay. Um, <laughs> Got to be honest now. Yeah, no, I don't know. because um, no, I've thought about this a lot over the last, now eight months. Um... I mean, I'm not scared. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm scared. I'm really excited. Um, I'm nervous, but I'd say most people in my position, my age, uh, occupation, and where I live, I'd say most people would be pretty scared because it's not very common for a 27-year-old to be having a kid in Hollywood, <laughs> um, especially with my fiance and wife-to-be. She's an actress. She's also in the industry, you know, so it's very, that's very uncommon. But I'd say I'm most nervous just to like... Because of the earthquake we just went through. Yeah, that's... No, that's why I'm nervous. No, but <laughs> actually that's another thing too. Like run, like this morning we woke up to an earthquake and I'm thinking... 6.4, that's a big one. Yeah. And I'm thinking like usually me and Shelby, we're good to go. But now we have to worry about, you know, she's eight months pregnant. Like we can't really move that quickly. Where do we, you know, what do we do? Where do we go? And especially once we actually have the baby, you know, that's a whole other thing to even worry about. But... Scared? No, I'm really excited. Um, I'd say I'm nervous, and I do have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, so it's just ask a question, ask one. What do you got? Hit me, brother. Hit me with your best shot, fire away. Okay. With so, apologies to Pat Benatar. <laughs> so, okay, so every day, like when I, you know, I have this commute to work, it's like 40 minutes or something. So most of my mornings driving in are thinking about, you know, Slevin. And That's his son's name, by the way. They're having a boy, <laughs> and they've already decided his name is Slevin. Yep. Save your applause or your condemnations for later. Go ahead. And his middle name is Octavius. So there's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fitting. It's Hollywood. You gotta have <laughs> Slevin Octavius Karam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Initial I mean, sock. Sock. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. So yeah. So most most of my mornings, pretty much thinking about Shelby and Slevin and. You know, like, the coming months, coming years, all these things. And, you know, one of the, I guess, the things I think about most is, like, I still consider myself a kid. I still consider so myself you. a kid. I know kid. you do. And that's never, and in some ways, that's never going to change. It shouldn't. Yeah, no, I really, yeah, I stand by that and I will forever. Also, I'm an artist, and you, well. know, you have to have, <laughs> well, you have to have that childlike imagination to, you know. To be an artist, be yeah. Be an artist, but... Like, you got a question here? This, this yeah. is like a White House briefing room <laughs> question. It's going to okay. take an hour to get right, to my, it. My, okay. So, yeah, my question is like, okay, finding that like balance between 
Well, the first one I have that I think about a lot is finding the balance between friendship and parenting. Because, you know, the first thing I think about, I want to play with him. I want to do everything for him. And then the second thing I think about is, like, the discipline aspect of it. Like, Well, hmm, that's a good one. So how do you strike that balance? Is that the question? Yeah, how do you strike that balance? Or, like, yeah, that's the first one. Well, I think with me it was, um, I'm not your friend, I'm your dad. Yeah. So I'm more, I, I want to play and have fun with you and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, make no mistake, um, I'm the lightning. And so you have to maintain that. There has, But that's the best kind of friend, actually, I think. Because yeah. you're, I, I'm more than your friend. I'm not going to make excuses for you. I'm going to correct you. I'll make mistakes as, you know, all parents do. But uh, at the end of the day, there has to be a wall that you cannot pass, and you're going to have to be it as the father. Now, my dad was like, I remember when I was old enough that my dad and I had a drink at a bar in San Antonio at the 50-50, and I'll never forget this. And he said, you know, I always wanted to be, always when you were younger, I always wanted to get to this point where we could sit in a bar and have a drink together and be friends. Yeah. And that comes. And, yeah, and we do we, that a lot. Yeah, we do, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we we do, do that a lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great for my end, too, as yeah. the son being able to do yeah. you know. But as you raise them, you got to be the dad. Yeah. And that's um, and, and sometimes you're going to anger your kids yeah. because they're going to go, Dad's mean, or, you know, that, that SOB. But, and and you got to brush that off. you got to know that what you're doing is being the dad first. Yeah. And that's what you got to do.